I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's a great pleasure for Sheila and me to be with you here in a congregation we've come to love and care for a great deal. We're not here often enough for our taste. Um, first, I want to say I've been walking all my life in some form with my brother Jesus, and sometimes I find him uh, oddly comforting in the things he says to us. Uh, that last statement has stayed with me for a long time. Uh, don't worry about tomorrow's worry. Tomorrow, tomorrow has plenty of worries. Today has enough troubles of its own. How comforting. <laughs> you know, how, how deeply helpful to start the day with that thought. Uh, today, today we'll have trouble enough. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> but this idea of serving two masters. I don't know how many of you uh, have been gripped by that costume, English costume drama in which nothing happens but it's tremendously dramatic, uh, Downton Abbey, has anybody uh, seen that? Right, I, I, you know what I mean when I say that not, not really much happens but you're completely on the edge of your seat uh, <laughs> throughout all four segments and then as it ends, as World War I is beginning, uh, they flash at the bottom, season two is in production, so uh, I was really happy about that. But the image, and it's not the first time it's been used by filmmakers, it's been used many times actually, uh, that speaks to this passage from Jesus's gospel today is in the downstairs area uh, where the servants are, and those bells are all lined up on the wall, each going to a different member of the aristocratic family's bedrooms or to the dining room, and they go off uh, and, oh, Mary needs this, and Lord Granton needs this, and off they all go running. Hard enough, hard enough. But if there were two masters and two sets of bells, think of the cacophony, the chaos, for those trying to serve two masters. That's an, a picture, as it is in the film itself, I think, of the internal state of a human being who has to choose, as we do, what and whom to serve in our lives. So this, it's confusing, thus, to be a Christian in this world that has not only worries enough for today, but allures enough for today and tomorrow. And the idea that we serve both Christ and the many things that pull on us is well summed up in this picture of the bells that are unrelenting and calling in different directions all at the same time. And the only quarrel the only quarrel I would have with the film is that it presents the servitude of these people in the downstairs area as a pretty sunny existence altogether. The word for serving in the Greek is not really like the film presents it, but it is the word that is also properly interpreted as a slave. 
and what may seem like servitude with its own dignity when we enter into it at any point in our lives will eventually if it is not the servitude to God show itself to be slavery in Hinduism they do this a little better than we do I think at least in what used to be called classical Hinduism which may never have existed I've come to learn but in those wonderfully precise Germanic texts about Hinduism uh, that seem to be constructions uh, perhaps not based entirely on Indian reality um, this is what we, I was told a young person in Hinduism might choose a path that was attractive to him or to her and give himself or herself entirely to it so this could be wealth give yourself to it be the best money maker that you possibly can be and as we famously and sort of um, titillatingly know this is also true of the erotic arts the Kama Sutra that's what that's all about you feel yourself drawn to the the world of love give yourself to it learn how to be the best lover ever just like someone else is called to be the best moneymaker ever and similarly there is in Hinduism Janana the path of knowledge be the best scholar that you possibly can be read every text on whatever subject it is follow it to the nth degree what Hinduism says is if you do this you will discover its limitations it will give out eventually it will not lead to transcendence eventually as they say about knowledge the path of knowledge you can learn everything and in fact you can go beyond the borders of what anyone has ever known about the subject you are studying and finally you will find that it brings you no closer to God than you were before and then then you are at the point where you can step off into the void that which you cannot control that which you cannot know and which can only come to you by grace from God we'd be better off perhaps if we approach things that way one set of bells one set of bells that appear to us at first to be a dignified productive way to lead our lives something worth giving everything to and then hopefully we're young enough and healthy enough when we find that that's not true to start the spiritual life that which is truly productive of things that are lasting and eternal but here we are here we are having already made the commitment to Christ and yet living in a world where the bells of different allurements and servitudes are clanging for our attention at all times what are we to do how are we to sort that out and do as Christ is telling us in this passage to choose the kingdom of God and God's righteousness rather than wealth or any other path that might be 
asking for my attention and my servitude. I was thinking about this as I was preparing to be with you, and I was reminded of the genius of the Anglican Revolution uh, that created the Church of England and eventually the churches of the whole communion, in which what was called the angelic life that was only available, only available to monks and nuns in what was then the Catholic world, there being no, no other options, uh, was, was only there for them. The angelic life was only for monks and nuns. The rest of us, those who had married, those who had not entered the convent or the monastery, were always a little bit unclean and a little bit less. But even in the monastery, can you believe it, there were jealousies, there were strivings, there were hopes for greater position. Could I just be the prior, the abbot, you know, or just a little softer life, or maybe a little meat today? Um, it, it, all these human things, the bells keep ringing for the monks and nuns too. So what did they do? The angelic life consisted, what they meant by this, was what we know as morning and evening prayer. What a simple idea. They had seven times of the day. Um, it was from early dawn to vigils, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, when they got up out of their cells and went and watched vigil, kept vigil, watching for Christ. Under the Anglican reformers, they collapsed all of those hours into two, morning prayer and evening prayer. Now, I'm telling you this because this was the way that these holy people, people striving to be holy as you and I are striving to be holy, prepared themselves for what can only be a gift. It's not controlling again. It's not getting, gaining something in, a, in the same way spiritually as I try to gain things in my daily life of money making or knowledge making, but rather it is preparing myself to receive the grace of God. So they called it the liturgy of the hours. And with great periodicity, they resorted to the word of God, reading the scriptures, hearing the scriptures, praying, singing the psalms together. And by so doing, they reoriented themselves to hear the one bell, the one true tone that is the voice of God in their lives. We have this gift ourselves. We gather like today for the sacrament, and we are fed by it. And are we not reoriented when we come together in this place? We find our loyalties confirmed, as the rite says, of marriage. We find our principles deeply confirmed and reestablished. We find ourselves strengthened. This can happen on a daily basis, too. We have been given this English language prayer book in our own language, not in a sacred language that's someone else's. And what we're encouraged to do by that is 
you own it and I own it. It's not the provenance of a certain group of people. We don't give it to each other only at certain times of the week. You and I may resort to this to retune our ears to hear the bell of the voice of God each day. That's why morning prayer is situated as it is at the beginning of the day so that we might go into our love relationships, our work relationships, our caring for our children and our grandchildren with the voice of God primary in it, turning to God first, seeking first God and other things following from that. And then evening prayer is meant to be the time when we review, see what the day held for us, and prepare for the night. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little story. One of my old teachers, an English priest um, in, in Oxford, served in a parish when he was a young man. And in that parish, it was a parish in a very, very small village in England. There were um, a few shops, the church, and a um, hundred houses, something like that. And he was very faithful. Uh, Vincent did as English clergy are supposed to do. He rang the bell for morning prayer every morning, and then he put on his cassock, and he went in and prayed morning prayer. And then in the evening, he rang the bell again and put on his cassock and went into the church and prayed evening prayer. Five years, no one joined him. <laughs> By himself, uh, each time, but with God, the Holy Spirit, he felt very much with him, and he dutifully did it happily. One day, he woke up with the flu, raging fever, felt terrible. He thought, nobody cares. I'm not going to ring the bell. I'm not going to put on the cassock. I'm not going to say morning prayer. He just laid in bed for an extra hour or so. And then he thought, well, I'll go get the newspaper. So he walked into the little shop in town. And the woman who ran it, standing with her hands on her hips, and she said, you didn't ring the bell for us today. And you didn't pray for us today. I tell you that story because even when I forget, even when you forget to orient yourself through the beginning of the day or at the end of the day or even on a weekly basis by coming together here, the church is praying for me. And the church is praying for you. There are prayers going to God for each of us that we might know in the midst of many voices, many bells, asking for our attention what the true what the true voice the true bell is and finally it seems to me that God will draw us to another understanding where the whole image of servitude will pass away because this is not what God desires at all the scriptures today give us in the two other scriptures that we heard, beautiful other images of our relationship to God. One, we are inscribed on God's palm. How beautiful that idea is, 
That's how close you are to the very being of God. Not a servant, not a slave, but actually on God's palm. And then in the psalm, the idea that I quiet my soul like a child at her mother's breast. How intimate and how beautiful that relationship is. If we listen, if we listen for the voice of God and seek God's kingdom and righteousness, even images like kingdom, servitude, master and slave, will pass away and we will come to know our beloved status on the palm of God, on the lap of God, as close as anyone can be to the divine source of our lives. This has been a sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. We are a growing, welcoming community for those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You can reach us by phone at 415-388-1907 or visit us online at OurSaviorNV.org. That's O-U-R-S-A-V-I-O-U-R-M-V for Mill Valley dot O-R-G. We wish you God's peace and we hope to greet you in person very soon.